Words have a lot of power, don't they? You know, we've all received words that have made us feel some type of way. Ain't that true? We've all have been there. For example, words of affirmation or compliments. How do you feel when somebody pays you a compliment and they say, man, I love your hair. I love the way you did your hair. Oh, wow. You, you're dressed so nice today. Your outfit looks great. Or fellas, man, that haircut is on point, man. Who hooked you up, right? And whenever we get those compliments, it can really make you feel great. Those type of words make you feel like you're on the moon, like you're sailing. They can make a bad day good or they can make a good day great, right? If you get some of those really good words. But at the same time, the opposite is true. If you receive bad news or the wrong words or insults, you know, they can have a negative impact on us. It can change your mood completely. It can even cause you to act out of character and even do or say something that you're going to immediately regret. If you receive the wrong words. Today we're kicking off this brand new series called My Big Fat Mouth. And we've all been there. We've all been on the receiving end of both negative and positive words. But guys, let's not kid ourselves. You know what else is true, right? And that is while you've been on the receiving end, guess what? You've also been on the giving end, haven't you? And me. We've both been on the giving end. We've also had our fair share of handing out both compliments, hopefully, but insults as well. And with this series, we're going to be looking at what God's Word has to teach us about our words. And this is extremely important because as followers of Jesus, we want, to, we want the work that Jesus has done and is doing on the inside, right? The atoning work of Christ on the cross, forgiving of our sin. We want that work that's happening on the inside to be reflected on the outside. And this includes with how we use our words. Next week, we're going to be talking about criticism. Criticism. There's two types of people. Which one are you? Are you a fault finder or a hope dealer? Those are the two people that we're going to be talking about next week. A fault finder finds everything wrong with everything and everyone. And make sure that everyone knows about it. That's a fault finder. Which one are you? Week three, we're going to talk about gossip. Gossip is kind of like a cancer that spreads and it hurts everyone around it. How do we guard our ears and our mouths from gossip and honor both God and also one another? That's what we're going to be talking about. But today... I thought I'd start off by giving you some information that nobody asked me for, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, and it's this. Kids can be master complainers, can't they? You all know this. If you have children yourself or if you have you know, nieces, nephews, grandkids or whatever, they can be master complainers. And I know this because I have three master complainers myself. They're professionals, I tell you. In fact, if, they, if it was a job, they'd make me, Melissa, a lot, a lot of money, you know, if it was a job. Uh, in fact, here's the three of their favorite statements. Can anybody relate? Here's the three, top three. But why? Where are we going? And are we there yet? And I kind of usually those two go hand in hand. Sometimes uh, there's a variant of the last one, uh, the last one, and they'll throw in uh, how much longer right, before we get there. Of course, it's always it doesn't it goes hand in hand. It's kind of connected to their body for some reason. It always goes with a bodily gesture. Usually, it's the like the, the eye roll, or it's usually like a huge sigh, or a, a grunt, like a caveman, slumped shoulders, and of course, yes, and even on occasion, tears. It's accompanied by tears as well. It seems that whatever they're complaining about, it hurts them to the deepest, most profound parts of their heart and their soul, and their, you know, the eye ducts open up, and it begins to just cry. Water begins to stream out of their eyeballs, right? But listen, you don't fall too far behind, right? And neither do I. Listen, we roll our eyes just as much. You grunt just as much. You stomp and you slump your shoulders just as much. And yes, I bet you even cry on occasion. You probably just don't do it out in public. You probably go into the bathroom and cry, right? 
But what makes us such masters complainers? Such master complainers. Why are we so good at it? Why are we experts at complaining? It's like, you know, it's like we have a complaint cannon locked and loaded, ready to unleash and go off at any given moment. The moment or the, the second that something, uh, something we're doing goes wrong or it doesn't go our way or we don't like what we see. And we're ready to complain. In fact, it, it, it reminds me of the Israelites in the Old Testament. The Israelites were God's chosen people. If you read, uh, you know, the Old Testament in the, in the Bible, and they spent, uh, the Bible says they spent four centuries enslaved, captive in Egypt under a harsh tyrant who refused uh, to give them their freedom. So they were under enslavement for four centuries, over 400 years. But then God raises up a man. His name is Moses. You may have seen him on TV once a year. They usually play the, the you know, the movie Ten Commandments, whatever. So ten, he, God raises up Moses to confront Pharaoh. And to let God's people go. Well, you guys, many of you know how the story goes. God shows up in miraculous ways using Moses and he sets the Israelites free. God sends 10 plagues. He parts the Red Sea and the Israelites walk on dry land. He feeds them manna in the desert so that they wouldn't go hungry. He made water come from a rock so to quench their thirst. Their clothes, the Bible says their clothes never wore out. though They were wandering through the desert. God shows up in miraculous ways. Now, how do you think the people respond? They complained. They murmured. They grumbled. They whined. They griped. Despite seeing the miraculous hand of God at work among them, they still threw a hissy fit and a tantrum right there on their way to the promised land. And they complained. In fact, let's read what it says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 11 and 12. I want you guys to listen to the sarcasm and listen, listen to the complaining of the Israelites, the grumbling. Here's what it says. This is Exodus chapter 14, verse 11. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Moses, what have you done by delivering us from enslavement and captivity? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone, verse 12, so that we may serve the Egyptians. Look at this next part. Look at what it says. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in wilderness. Did you guys catch that? It would have been better for us to die enslaved and in bondage and tortured and abused under enslavement in Egypt. Even though God provided and delivered them, miraculously performed different signs and wonders, still they found something to complain about. But how relatable is that? We can always find something to complain about, can't we? No matter how good you've got it, it's quite easy to nitpick and to gripe and to complain about something or some situation or someone, right? It's quite easy. Look at what Moses goes on to say in chapter 16. Check this out. This is Moses talking. He says, uh, this is verse 8. The Lord will give you meat to eat this evening and all the bread you want in the morning. For he has heard the what? Say that word. He has heard the? The complaints that you are raising against who? Against him. Who are we? Your complaints are not against us. Read this next part. But against the Lord. Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. That's what Moses is saying. Let me ask you guys a question. What in your life do you complain about the most? What in your life do you complain about the most? 
Uh, in fact, I left a little space in your notes. Do you guys see that? There's a couple fill in the blanks. I love to put this time to time in there just to get you guys to think. And don't worry about it. It's not a quiz. It's not getting graded. And nobody's peeking over your shoulder. If they do, just elbow them in the ribs, okay? <laughs> it's not a test. You can go ahead. Just write it down what it is. I bet you you don't have to think very much. What do you complain about? Write it down on your notes. What, what is something you complain about the most? And this is just a self-reflective exercise to examine what are the things that you complain about the most. Identify it and write it down. You know, maybe you complain about smaller, less significant things, things that aren't, you know, like the weather. I know, I, I complain about the weather all the time. Oh, it's raining again. Oh, it's so, cold, it's so cold outside. Don't let it snow because if it snows, I have to shovel out the car and clean the windshield and then my socks get wet and I, I just turn angry, okay? So don't let it snow. So I complain about the weather all the time. Maybe you complain about your slow Wi-Fi, Right? Or how you can't watch a full show of Netflix because the stream buffers because of your slow Wi-Fi. Or, or you complain that there's nothing to binge watch on Netflix because you already watched everything that you could have. Right? And you complain about the lack of new content. But maybe you complain about things that are a little bit more significant. Maybe things like your job. Man, the boss is so uptight, man. He's, man, he's so uptight. I, or I hate these pointless meetings that I have to go to all the time. And don't let me get started on those coworkers or those customers of mine. They're the worst. And on and on and on it goes, right? <laughs> but you see, I think the problem isn't the weather. I don't think the problem is Netflix or your Wi-Fi. The problem isn't your job or your coworkers. I think the problem is that our spiritual enemy is working overtime. He's working tirelessly to take our eyes off of the goodness of God and the goodness of his blessings and goodness to turn it on to ourselves. I think that's the problem. You know, at the root of our complaining is our own prideful, selfish, and sinful desire to make everything about us, about our preferences, to make it about our pleasure, to make it about our liking. And so to help us recenter and refocus our complaints and the attention of ourselves, off of ourselves and onto God's goodness, I want to read a, a passage in the book of Philippians in the New Testament. But before we read it, I want to give you guys a little bit of context of what we we're about to read. The book of Philippians, we call it a book, but it's actually a letter. It was written by the Apostle Paul to some churches in Philippi. And, uh, and if there were ever anyone who had like a legit reason to complain about anything, it was Paul, right? I mean, you see, Paul was a missionary, which meant, you know, God sent them with a mission to go in and share the gospel with many people. He was a missionary. He was a church planner, which means that he would go and make disciples and start new churches in different areas. And he was constantly spreading the gospel, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, letting people know the good news of Christ. And he went all over the place doing this type of work. He was doing God's work. He was doing a good work. And how was he repaid? Well, Paul is beaten. Paul is imprisoned. And he's chained in a Roman jail. All right? Don't think about Rikers with cable, all right, and three meals a day. He's in Roman jail, imprisoned, chained. Uh, awaiting the possible execution of his life. Do you think he had any grief over this? I know I would. God, you sent me to, to, to preach the gospel and, and plant churches. And I'm doing it, God, and this is how you repay me. But what's interesting is that he doesn't respond to his situation with complaint. Instead, he, paint, he pens these words right here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. You have it there in your notes. 
In fact, let's read this verse out loud together, okay? And I'm going to ask you to do that, and you're going to read it without complaining. Okay, you got it? All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Ready, go. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. Did you guys underline the first part of that verse? Do everything without grumbling and arguing. Isn't it interesting, guys, that a person who perhaps could argue had every, you could argue had every right to complain about his situation, he's writing these words and he's telling us to do everything without grumbling and arguing. In other words, knock it off, quit complaining, what Paul is saying. What could keep Paul from complaining about his situation? And not only not complain, but in turn pen these words right here, write this down to the church. I think it had to do something with his focus. You see, if you want to find things to complain about, guys, you don't have to look very far. In fact, I could probably point out 30 things to complain to you about right now as I look around this room. Right? It's very easy to find things to complain about. So often, what you, what you see is what you're looking for. So if you're looking for something negative, you're going to find it. And if you're looking for things to complain about, guess what? You'll find it. But instead, if you decide to refocus your attention and to see God's goodness in the world, how might that change what you see? In fact, I could sum up today's teaching, if I could sum it up in a couple phrases, I'd say it this way. Number one, you can write this down in your notes. If you can change your circumstances, do something about it. If you can change your circumstances, then do something about it. If you can get out of that particular situation, then what are you waiting for? Do it. Right? If, you, if you want to lose weight, then exercise and eat better. Go ahead and do it. Don't complain about being overweight. If you're tired or if, if the boss or the coworkers, you know, or whatever, then apply for a new job or, or, or get a new job. All right, but Danny, I can't. It's not that easy. Well, then write this down. Number two, if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. If you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. If you can't change the challenges that you're facing, you can change your perspective. You can change what you say about it. You can change what you think about it. You can change how you react to it. You can change how you approach it. And if you can't change your circumstances, then change your perspective. Look at what Paul goes on to say, Philippians chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It's in your notes. It's on the screen. He says this, But even... If I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, read this next part with me. Ready, go. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Underline that part in your verse right there in verse 17. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Now, how can... How can Paul be glad and rejoice when he's in prison, when he's in chains, and perhaps even approaching his death? How can he be joyful in that situation? Here's why. It's because Paul was not the center of the story. Jesus was. Paul had learned that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That ultimately complaining about his situation would not do a single thing. It would not free him of his chains. It would not make the pain or the torture any better. It would not magically remove him from death row. It wouldn't do anything. 
But by changing his perspective, he was able to experience gladness and joy despite the circumstances that he found himself in. This is the most important thing. Guys, listen to this. If you, if you forget everything else, remember this. Paul's focus was not on himself. His eyes were on Christ. Jesus not only changes our life, but he even changes our perspective. And because of Jesus, we can, by God's grace, we can reject our selfishness. We can reject our pride. We can reject the urge to complain. And instead, we can grow in gratitude. We can grow in patience. We can grow in understanding. Let me ask you guys a question this morning. Where do you have your focus? Where's your perspective? Are you more focused on or concerned with yourself or your current circumstances or situations? Does that lead you to grumble and to complain and grief? Neglecting all of God's goodness can be around you. And guys, when we look at it, when we have that perspective, it can be like blinders, really. Where all you see is the negative and the bad, and you don't see all the glimpses of God's grace. You don't see the parting of the Red Sea. You don't see manna fall from heaven. You don't see deliverance from 400 years of bondage. All you see is the complaints and the situation, the circumstance. If you can change your circumstances, then hey, go for it. Do something about it. But if you can't, then maybe you should change your perspective. I want to invite the worship team up here, and they're going to lead us in one more uh, song as we prepare our hearts for communion. We serve communion every week, and I just want you to consider that as you eat the bread and, and as you drink the juice, use it as a time to reflect and to remember the tremendous sacrifice that Christ made on the cross of Calvary to atone for your sins, to grant you eternity, to give you forgiveness, and to bring you into the family of God. Use it as a time to reflect. As you take communion and as you head to your seats, maybe you can spend some time to pray and reflect on Christ who willingly, willingly went to pay the penalty for our sin. He did so. Jesus, listen, Jesus went to the cross without a single complaint. He endured the cross without complaining. And he did so out of an immense love for you and for me. And when given the opportunity to back out of the excruciating pain, that was awaiting him, he prayed to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. He did it out of love. Jesus did it for you. Jesus did it for you. Why? So that our relationship with God the Father can be restored. So that our purpose can be renewed. And all you have to do, if you yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, all you have to do is put that hope, put that confidence, put that faith in him, and his sacrifice is sufficient. You can't pray enough. You can't read enough Bible. You can't go to church enough. You can't be good enough of a person. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. All you need to do is put your faith in Him. And as we conclude, this is, where, this is the way we're going to pray. Today, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a passage in the book of Psalm, and we're going to read it, and that's going to be our prayer today, okay? We're going to look at that, and I'm going to invite you to pray the words of, of the psalmist with me. And, and I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might have a shift in our perspective. You guys ready? It's on the screen and it's in your notes. Let's pray this psalm. Ready? Go. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that He does for me. He forgives me all my sins 
and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. God, I just pray that we would have a shift in our perspective. It's very easy to identify all the things that we dislike and that we complain about. Um, but God, I pray that we would have a shift in perspective, God, that as the psalm, the psalmist sang, as the psalmist prayed, that that would be our prayer this morning as well, that let all that I am praise the Lord. May we recollect and remember all the good things that you have done, the goodness of God, the grace of God, the forgiveness of sin, our healing, that you have saved us, you've redeemed us from death, you've crowned us and given us love and tender mercies. Lord, you fill our life with good things. Every good and perfect gift comes from you, Lord. So, God, while we are tempted to complain and while we are tempted, Lord, to look at the negative things in our lives, in our circumstances, in our situation, and to respond with negative words and with complaint, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would remove our focus off our self-centeredness and our selfish pride, God, and that we would turn our focus to Jesus. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would have a shift of our perspective. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.